And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me, as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. It's the best bike in the whole world. <laughs> I believe it. I want it for my birthday. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have it. I like when he gives him the chewing gum, too. And he's like, do you like spearmint or... <laughs> Or whatever he says, cinnamon. And he's like, oh, fruit. cinnamon for me. It's fruit. Oh, fruit. Yeah. He goes, oh, I'll have the fruit, baby. <laughs> the oil comes out of his teeth or whatever. That's disgusting. Yeah. So, well, then, where are they hosing him down? <laughs> oh, so good. Um, yeah. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. Long good. Day. Long, yeah. long day. Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> All the live long day. You've been working on that railroad? Yes. To and fro. <laughs> All the live long day. There you go, That's John Henry. <laughs> but cool. Well, it's it's that's good to hear. I um I uh I had an okay day today. It wasn't nothing. It wasn't nothing too crazy. I was really tired for some reason and really fatigued. So I don't know what it was, and I hope it's not the, the vid. But I skipped my my run today. But uh, that's oh, okay. Man. We'll come back stronger than ever tomorrow. You gotta say your prayers and eat your vitamins and <laughs> do your homework and weight lift. I don't even know what he wants you to do. Yeah, and then I just got to yell a lot, and then as soon as <laughs> as soon as his uh, "I am a real American," that's when I get pumped up. That's how I start working out. Yeah, people do that. <laughs> it's crazy stuff. They have, they have an entrance song. Do you have it? If you were to be, if you were a professional <laughs> baseball player, what would be your song as you stepped up to bat? "Till I Collapse" by Eminem. Um, really? Yeah, I've thought about that one too a lot, but yeah, that one is just it hits so hard. It, it'd be that or. Um, I would like this is how we do it. <laughs> I, I was trying to think of what it was called. I think it just called this is how we do it. Yeah. Montel Jordan. So, <laughs> but that would be probably mine. What about you? Uh, mine would probably be Beast by Nico Vega. I do not know that's incredible. Blow your mind. Okay, I'll have to take your word for it, and I'll listen to it later. Or mine will be. I mean, it's only like five seconds of music, so it's got a good intro, though. Um, when we were playing Uno the other that other week, and uh, and you were saying, and I was we were listening to, to "Don't Drag Me Down," and it was like Bruce, and you were telling me a stat about uh, the shark from Jaws, and you are like the boy who cried wolf, and it's hard to believe some of your stories because you're so good at at uh, lying, and um, yeah, I. I, I don't I don't know if I I don't know if I believe you in that story. Right, but every right. time I think of that song, I go, Bruce. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I was like the shark in Jaws is named Bruce. And they were sitting the whole thing was not to be dragged down into the water. I was because you just got done. We just got done talking about how you are, are really good at fabricating stories and making them very believable. And then you're like, I'm not lying about this one. And I, I was laughing so hard. So I heard that song the other day, too. Right. And, don't bring um, me down. Yeah, yeah, don't bring, don't me, bring down. me down. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, talking about the shark. They didn't want to drown. <laughs> it's stuck in that thing. It didn't oh, work. God. You know, it's 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 famously terrible. Yeah. At being a shark. 
That's what I remember. It was yeah. uh, pretty, pretty awful, but still an amazing film. And an even more amazing explanation of the lyrics oh. to that song. <laughs> I still call bullshit, but you yeah. gotta be quick. <laughs> I'm making up stories. Yeah. Guilty with the stories. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. That's probably my favorite line in Step Brothers. Is guilty with the stories. Oh, okay. Derek. Yeah, I haven't had carbs since. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, jeez. Anyway, so what have you been watching? Um, quite a few things. I watched Super Bad. Uh, that movie is so funny, and it just continues to be funny for me. I, I I laugh at almost every scene, and I never skip any parts in it. It's just so fucking funny. <laughs> My favorite part is when, um, who's oh god, I don't remember his name. What's the kid uh, that's in like Moneyball and oh uh, Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill when he Seth. gets hit by the car and just <laughs> yeah. goes flying forward. That's my favorite part in the whole movie. <laughs> He's like, oh, what the fuck. <laughs> He's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. He's like, you better give us a shitload of alcohol or a shitload of money or we're going to call the cops. He's like, all right, Mercy Street, guys. Yeah, he's like, I have a totally nonviolent warrant out for my arrest. He goes, there we go. There's it, Mercy Street. <laughs> so funny. Oh, God. Yeah, that's pretty funny. He's like, seven bucks? What are you, like, ten? <laughs> it's <was> funny. <laughs> it's pretty good. I fucking love that movie. Uh, it's so funny. It's so, kind of long. It's a long one. It is. It's. I think it's close to two hours, but I mean, I love every minute of it. There's not a, a part that I skip in it. I laugh the entire time. So, um, <clears throat> And I watched uh, Big Top Pee Wee because uh, David was talking about it on the Geek Legacy podcast. I uh, really love that. That's why we were quoting Pee Wee Herman before the show. And then I watched Superman Returns because, again, you talked about that on the podcast. And I forgot how much I liked that movie. Uh, Kevin Spacey is a piece of shit in it, and he didn't age well with it. But uh, I still really like Brandon Routh, and I think he does a really good job in that movie. So, um, And then I watched Speed 2 Cruise Control. All right. Because, uh, yeah. Jason I'm, Patrick. Yeah, why not? Kick. It's not It's not as bad as I remembered it being. Um, I actually didn't mind it, so it was it was cool. And then I watched um, the new season of Hard Knocks. They're featuring the Dallas Cowboys on HBO Max. So that has been fun. But uh, what about you? That's a lot of stuff. I watched a lot of ball movies. I watched Moneyball. I watched the Dodgeball. <laughs> I watched Saved. Have you seen that before? With Mandy Moore? Yeah. Have you seen uh, it? I have not. Have you seen it? Have you about this? It's actually <laughs> really good. So I hadn't seen it since it came out, and it had been a while, and we just needed something to watch and put it on. It was awesome. I, I really enjoyed it a second time through. Uh, then I watched Jungle Cruise. Ooh, that was fun. Really? Uh, yeah, it was a romp. I enjoyed it. I think uh, <laughs> I think if I were a little boy again, like Swiss Family Robinson, Pirates of the Caribbean kind of vibe, um, I really would have liked it even more because that was just right up my alley. I love being like an adventure boy and getting into trouble and going off on adventures and stuff. And um, it was it was a lot of fun. I dug it. It was kind of like a it's kind of like a weird cross between like pirates and, and mummy, I guess I think Randy was hmm. suggesting. And I think that's pretty accurate. Okay. Uh, it's pretty cool. good. Uh, then I watched heels on stars, which is a lot of fun with um, Stephen Amell from arrow. Yeah. Uh, it's a wrestling show and uh, it's pretty good. Cool. It's a good, it's a good show. You should go see it. And then I uh, <laughs> plowed through Barry. Jack. Barry. Love it. Fucking I love Barry. Yeah, oh. it's so good. So this was my second watch through. And I plowed there. I started like Sunday and I'd finished today. Nice. I had it on the background and uh, loved it. We got, we got you bunt cake. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. Hey, Bobby. I fucking, Bobby. No, Hank is my favorite character in the oh, history of television. God. 
He's so funny. He's yeah. so funny. I, I can't believe how how great he is in that show. It's yeah, uh, it's, it's good really good. Um, so are you ready to talk about this week's motion picture show? I am. All right. So this comes to a, a comes to us as a suggestion from Mr. Gabitron, our buddy Gabriel, who said you should tell this movie. It's a good movie. You should go see it. And so <laughs> we did. And it is The Abyss, which is from 1989. It is streaming now on Amazon Prime. So there you go. There's your there's your 1080p version of the movie. I know. I think is there a 4K one now? Yeah, there is actually. Okay, I know it took forever to go on Blu-ray, like years mm-hmm. and years and years and years and years. So I think it might have even been like 19 or I'm sorry, 2018 or something like that might have been when it finally came out on. Wow. On the Blu-ray. It was a long time. Quite, quite a process. And then uh, it was directed by James Cameron, who you might know from a couple of indie films like uh, Avatar <laughs> and Titanic, <laughs> fucking Aliens with a Z. And then you got Terminator 2, <laughs> True Lies. I've seen a lot of his motion picture shows in the theater. In mm-hmm. fact, the only two that I haven't, now that I think about it, would be uh, the first Terminator and Aliens. I was just uh, too young, I think, to catch those in the theater. But everything else, 100% theater time. Um, let's see. Also written by James Cameron. How about that? This guy writes shit. He directs shit. He's like the Han Solo of fucking filmmaking. <laughs> I'm a pilot. I'm, I'm a, a driver. <laughs> I'm a driver. I do whatever. I do it all. <laughs> Could be a very good price, my friend. Okay, so the cast includes Ed Harris, who, by the way, was 39 when he made this movie. And, and this has become a wow. thing where every time I see a movie that I watched when I was a kid, I see how old the actor was because now that I'm 41, I feel like, I'm kind of that age where all my heroes were when they were making movies. Fucking Ed Harris was 39 in this movie. I'm like two years older than the man. That's crazy. Uh, then you have Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Mastrantonio. You might remember her from Scarface. She was the the sister. Yeah. Gina. Gina. She got shot. Spoiler alert. Whoa. Uh, then you got Michael Bean. You got Leo. What is that? Burmester? Yeah, I'm sure. He was uh, he played uh, uh, the the guy with the beard and punched um, Michael Bean's character. Bushy beard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Todd Graff, John Bedford, Lloyd, Kimberly Scott and J.C. Quinn. Not to be confused with Justin Cavender Quinn. That's a whole nother (laughs) J.C. Yeah. Jesus Cristo Quinn. (laughs) Critical reception as per the usual. I don't have it in front of me. Hold please. But it is a whopping 89% on the old Rotten Tomato meter there. And the audience score is pretty close. It's 83. Ooh. So there you have it. I'm sure that people that have watched it uh, many years after are probably the reason for it being a lower score. Uh, this was back when you had to have patience when you watched a movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that exists anymore. Now people want the helicopter shots and the and the upward angles and the, and the quick cuts. Uh, Cameron doesn't do that. No. Yeah. So let's see. What do we got here? The variety staff. We like these people sometimes. A first rate underwater suspenser. Is that a word? With an otherworldly twist. The abyss suffers from a payoff unworthy of its buildup. Hmm. Hmm. Did he even watch the movie? <laughs> yeah. So have you just out of curiosity, have you seen the extended cut with like the other the alternative uh, um ending? 
So I, I have not, but what I did is I learned about it because I was watching Minty Comedic Arts and he did the 10 things, you know, and or no, I watched a Joe Blow videos. Anyways, um, I found the extended cut, the ending with all the, the wave crashing and whatnot. And they kind of did the post film CGI um, fix afterwards. ILM did it. But uh, yeah, they, they completely removed it because it would have just completely been a different movie. Um, well, so, yeah. so there's like the waves like stop before they crash. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you saw that and then they just to, to kind of teach humanity a lesson kind of thing. Like, yes, hey, we're, we're there. We're here and we're stronger than you and you guys are terrible. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So I am curious if this opinion would change if that was the ending that was, uh, you know, the one that they stuck with. Hmm. Yeah, kind of probably. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Jonathan Rosenbaum from the Chicago Reader. We know how the Chicago folks out there feel about movies. Oh, man. They hate them. It's a thing. They just want their deep dish and that's it. <laughs> uh, the attempt to extract the essences of several genres, Cold War, Submarine, Thriller, Love Story, Disney, Fantasy, pseudo, pseudo mystical SF in the Spielberg mode. Uh, and mix them together ultimately leads to giddy incoherence. Huh. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I'm glad they mentioned Love Story, though, because I think at its core, that's what this movie is. Mm-hmm. So at least Mr. Rosenbaum picked up on that. But it's not for everyone. Two out of four. He's 50-50. It's not so bad, I suppose. Uh, the budget was $70 million, which seems kind of low, but... I guess in $89, that might have been quite a bit. Uh, gross in the U.S. was $54 million. Opening weekend, it only did $9.3 million, And then worldwide was 90 So this is a movie that barely made its money back. And that's that's probably counting with marketing, too. Mm-hmm. And paying people. Uh, it's probably breaking even. Or maybe even people lost some money. But um, holy smokes. that's uh, The world wasn't ready. No. Not at all. There was um, there was a lot of trivia for this, Justin, and it was actually really fun reading through it. I tried to hold what I could back just because we would spend hours talking about this. But basically, uh, a few things. The real oxygenated fluorocarbon uh, fluid was used in the rat fluid breathing scene. Dr. Johannes uh, Kilstra and Dr. Peter Bennett of Duke University pioneered this technique and consulted on and consulted on the film, giving detailed instructions on how to prepare the fluid. The only reason for cutting into the actors' uh, faces was to avoid showing the rats defecating from momentary panic as they began breathing the fluid. Um, we'll talk about it more in the podcast, but uh, yeah, I don't like I don't like the idea of drowning. I don't like swallowing a whole bunch of water, so the liquid thing would make me very, very, very uncomfortable. Um, but it, it was still one of the most fascinating parts of the film for me. So uh, that's real. Uh, yes, apparently it's, um, it's supposed to be real apparently. Cause I was like, how did they shoot this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, I don't understand how yeah. this works. So he didn't, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think it's, it's basically like ambiotic fluid, right? Like yes. you're able to, like if, if you were in the womb, basically yes. you're a baby's able to breathe. Yes. But we can't drink oxygen. We can't drink water. As soon as it gets in our lungs, we pass out and we fucking die. Right. I think for for Ed Harris, what they did is they didn't use the actual uh, fluorocarbon, the oxygenated fluorocarbon fu- uh, fluid. They just did water and, and colored it because uh, his scenes, you know, he didn't need to be um, down at that depth. And so 
they would let him do that and then bring him to shore, spit it all out and stuff. So he basically like had to hold his breath. Yeah, he, almost, he almost drowned. A few yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And so and my next fact, Ed, Ed Harris reportedly punched James Cameron in the face after he, he kept filming while he was nearly drowning. So for that kind of stuff, like, you know, towards the end of the movie, um, he had an, he had a long incident where he almost drowned and it was pretty crazy. Um, Ed Harris has publicly refused to speak about his experiences working on the film, saying, I'm not talking about the abyss and I never will. The only register the, the only register with Harris speaking about his experiences doing the movie is in the documentary Under Pressure Making the Abyss. Similarly, Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastrantonio said the abyss was a lot of things. Mastrantonio. <laughs> the abyss was a lot of things. Fun to make was not one of them. Uh, very few scenes involve stunt people. When Bud drags Lindsay back to the rig, that's really Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastrantonio holding her breath. When the rig is being flooded and the characters are running from the water, drowning behind closed doors and dodging exploding parts of the rig, those are all actors, not stunt people. Yeah, that's fucking Jesus crazy. Jesus Christ, that is terrifying. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm going to be in my trailer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is uh, terrifying. Uh, director James Cameron was determined to actually film major portions of the movie underwater as he felt that the conventional way to shoot such scenes, slow motion filming on a set filled with smoke or in the ocean with stunt divers, looked unconvincing. He, uh, while searching for a suitable tank for filming during pre-production, he was advised of a half-completed nuclear reactor facility in Gaffney, South Carolina, that was intended to be used as a movie studio. When Cameron was given a tour of the location, the unfinished turbine pits were suggested to serve as the tank for principal photography. However, when he saw the facility's nuclear reactor housing, a 55-foot-tall bowl, 200 feet 240 feet in diameter. He decided that this structure was ideal as it could accommodate huge sets and its walls would not be visible on screen. The reactor designated a tank thus became the largest underwater set in the world at 7.5 million gallons. And the turbine pit was used as B tank for miniature special effects. That is, um, that's something filming underwater. Cause I mean, as an actor, you know, you have to be submersed in your role, but that's just a whole other ball game. Um, just completely in that element. You know what I mean? Oh Yeah pass mm. it's a it's pretty terrifying and maybe that's what helped the film but who knows so james cameron nearly drowned during production while he was weighted down um at the bottom of the giant water tank during filming his assistant director had failed to warm him or to warn him to refill his oxygen and realizing that he was running out of air cameron asked for help from underwater dp al giddings however giddings couldn't hear him he was near deaf from an old diving bell uh, accident and with no one else nearby, Cameron quickly released his helmet, harness, and weights and started to swim with great speed to the surface, exhaling all the way in order to prevent lung damage from decompression. One of the safety divers held him down and gave him a regulator, which was broken and only produced water. Cameron tried to release himself, but the diver, thinking that Cameron was simply having a panic attack, held him even tighter. Cameron only survived because he punched the diver in the face and reached the surface before he passed out. The AD and the diver were fired in the same day. Wow. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow, <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty gnarly, man. But um, yeah, I would implore anybody who um, enjoyed the movie or or just even if you didn't just read the trivia on IMDb, there is a lot of, of shit that happened behind the scenes. And we'll talk about that on, on the pod. Sure. I mean, I don't. So I'm sad that they got fired because the diver was doing what he thought was right. Right. And I'm sure 99% of the time that would probably be correct that they were having a panic attack. Um, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, unless there was more behind it, but I agree with you that that would be really crappy if you're like, dude, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, but. based based on this very short snapshot of information that happened, uh, I, I would 
I would try to understand his reasoning behind it, but right. Yeah. Just fucking punching him and then firing him in the same day. That's yeah. kind of rough. Yeah. How fast can you punch underwater? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> let's, don't go know. As, let's go as Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speed ahead. Yeah. Uh, like in the movie Count of Monte Cristo. Ah, there you go. I'm really good at catching flies. Drives Alex crazy. Like I can just fucking Miyagi and just grab the shit out of the air. <laughs> and every time I do it, I go, speed ahead. <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... um. What's interesting about all this trivia is that uh, it sounds like nobody had a good time. Gonna have a bad time. <laughs> Gonna have a bad time. <laughs> they didn't pizza or fries the entire <laughs> production. And I heard this uh, this video interview that James Cameron was doing, and I think it's before the movie begins. If you were to buy it on like home video kind of thing, and he says. I think I came out of the abyss with a sense of my own limitations in the sense of the limitations you could reasonably expect other people to push themselves to in making the film. I think we, and he's like, I have lost a little perspective on that movie and pushed beyond what it should be. Uh, and you know, that's what the nature, that's the nature of filmmaking. When you're out in the woods trying to make, you know, a chainsaw murder movie, you're out in the woods and you have to do a shot of some kind and you have to do something. So in this case, um, we were in, you know, filming a, a, in a tank and we had to make our schedule. We had to do things that we set out to do. Maybe the conception of going into a giant filming tank and doing all this stuff and putting actors in helmets was a dumb idea. Uh, it seemed cool at the time, you know, and I think that, uh, we actually had to, to live it out to make it work and make it happen. It was a lot more difficult than we thought it was going to be. Cause you know, my biggest problem is that I can make the cognitive leap to what the end picture will look like. And it will always be a glorious picture. Uh, and it's the steps to get there, you know, and that sometimes are pretty grueling. Uh, but you know, that's where experience comes in. I've been at this for a while now. So I have a better idea of what it takes to get the end result. And uh, I think there's a little bit of humility there. But at the same time, he's like, I push these fuckers so goddamn hard and look at what we got out of it. And I did it for a reason. And so this is sort of the a movie version, like a character of a director, but Cameron is really that way. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is kind of interesting. You know, these actors are like, fuck off, man. This movie's it's hard, you know? And you know, why don't I have a stunt double and and people are almost dying and they're miserable? And I I can imagine that already being underwater is scary. And then the wearing the whole helmet thing, that was a new concept where they had actors talking to each other uh, while they're wearing helmets mm -hmm. uh, underwater. And uh, it, it looks great, but, you know, at what cost? Yeah, Jesus. I mean, yeah, Ed Harris almost died. James Cameron almost died. It's um, that's that's pretty crazy. All for a movie. And, right. Uh, we can know. laugh about it now. We're all right. <laughs> yeah, they're not dead, but still like, <laughs> holy buckets, man. That would be that's that's insane. But you're right. It's it's very much like a Mel Gibson apology where he's it's kind of a half apology. But he's also like, I did what I did for a reason. It's like, whoa, right. man. That's not right. how I feel about that. So. And that's just it, right? Like he has his limitations, like he saw what they were. But the and then he goes on to say in that I see, you know, the limitations of that I should expect from other people <laughs> to push themselves. So right then it's like, well, I'm not the asshole because this is how far they wanted to go. And it's like, well, calm down, guy. <laughs> Serious. Calm your tits there. Yeah. Well, so I, thought, I thought I would share that with you. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, I appreciate that he actually came to terms and I'm glad that this movie picked up steam and it's held up pretty well for being a film from 1989. So, you know, 30, 31 year old movie, 32 year old movie, whatever. But um, cool. Okay, well, uh, here's a synopsis for anybody who has not seen it yet. But in January 1994, the U.S. Ohio class submarine USS Montana has an encounter with an unidentified big Montana. It's a sandwich at Arby's. (laughs) They were throwing them away outside. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And sinks near the Cayman trough with uh, Soviet ships moving to in to try to salvage the sub and a hurricane moving over the area. The U.S. government sends a SEAL team to Deep Core a privately owned experimental underwater drilling platform near the Cayman Trough uh, to use as near the Cayman Trough to use as a base of operations. The platform's designer, Dr. Lindsay Brigman, insists on going along with the SEAL team, despite her estranged husband, Virgil Bud Brigman, being the current foreman. During an initial investigation of the Montana, a power cut in the team's submersibles leads to Lindsay seeing a strange light circling the sub which she later calls a non-terrestrial intelligence, or NTI. Lieutenant Hiram Coffey, the SEAL team leader, is ordered to accelerate their mission and takes one of the mini-subs without Deep Core's permission to recover a Trident missile warhead from the Montana just as the storm hits above, leaving the crew unable to disconnect from their surface support ship in time. The cable crane is torn from the ship and falls into the trench, dragging the Deep Core to the edge before it stops. The rig is partially flooded, killing several crew members and damaging its power systems. The crew wait out the storm so they can restore communications and be rescued. As they struggle against the cold, they find the NTIs have formed an animated column of water that is exploring the rig. Though they treat it with curiosity, coffee is agitated and cuts it in half by closing a pressure bulkhead on it, causing it to retreat. Realizing that coffee is suffering paranoia from high pressure nervous syndrome, Uh, The crew spies on him through a remote operated vehicle, finding him and another seal arming the warhead to attack the NTIs to try and stop him. Bud fights coffee, but coffee escapes in a mini sub with the primed warhead. Bud and Lindsay give chase um, in the other sub damaging both coffee is able to launch the warhead into the trench, but uh, his sub drifts over the edge, crushing him with it. What? (laughs) Crushing him when it implodes. <laughs> Bud's mini sub is inoperable and taken on water. With only one functional diving suit, Lindsay opts to enter deep hypothermia when the ocean's cold water engulfs her. Bud swims back to the platform with her body. There, he and the crew administer CPR and revive her. One seal, Ensing Monk, uh, helps Bud use an experimental diving suit equipped with a, li- a liquid breathing apparatus to survive to that depth though he will only be able to communicate through a keypad on the suit. Bud begins his dive, assisted by Lindsay's voice, to keep him coherent against the effects of the mounting pressure and reaches the warhead. Monk guides him in successfully disarming it. With little oxygen left in the system, Bud explains he knew it was a one-way trip and tells Lindsay he loves her. As he waits for death and NTI approaches, Bud takes his hand and guides him to an alien city deep in the trench. Inside the city, the NTIs create an atmospheric pocket for Bud, allowing him to breathe normally. The NTIs then play back Bud's message to his wife, and they look at at each other with an understanding. On Deep Core, the crew is waiting for rescue when they see a message from Bud that he met some friends and warns them to hold on. The base shakes, and the lights from the trench uh, bring the arrival of the alien ship. It rises to the ocean surface with Deep Core, and several of the surface ships uh, run aground on its hull. The crew of the deep core exit the platform surprised they are not suffering from decompression sickness 
They see Bud walking out of the alien ship and Lindsay races to hug him. And that is the abyss. Oh, yeah, it's um, it was a it was a fun one. When was the first time you saw the abyss, Justin? And what were your thoughts then versus how they are now? Uh, sometime in 1989, <clears throat> I didn't see it like in. Uh, so this was one. I'm sorry. So this is one of the movies that I did not see in theater. Aside from Aliens, Terminator, the first Terminator, and the Abyss, uh, I did not see it in a theater. I saw it on home video, and it was fun. I mean, I was like nine or ten, but uh, I enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, I I was young when I saw it, and I don't I don't remember anything about it other than the CPR scene. Just because I was young, I was like, "Whoa, you get to see your boobs." So that was uh, that was where my mind was at. I wasn't really impressed with anything else, but I don't remember shit about the movie. So I don't remember seeing her boobs. Yeah, you uh, like exposed. Yeah, when um when they give they give her CPR and then they have to do um he's like the, slapping her the, and stuff. The, the AEDs. Yeah, that scene was crazy too because um you know James Cameron is notorious for taking multiple takes because he wants to get like the perfect angle and poor um Master Antonio she was there just bare chested exposed and getting slapped by Ed Harris over and over. And she just, she broke down and was like, I, I, I don't have to stand for this, you know, like we're human beings or whatever. And so that's why some of the shots they did for it were just facing up at Ed Harris as he's doing chest compressions and it didn't show her. Oh. So um, yeah, pretty crazy stuff. But yeah, cause she was like, you know, just bare chested exposed and had, had to pretend to be dead and was getting slapped. And I don't remember that at all. I don't remember any nudity in this movie. Oh, yeah. No, that was the, the only part that stuck out with me. You can see where my my mind was at when I was a kid. So yeah, I guess so. I was like, I like boobies. <laughs> I like yeah. your take on boobies. <laughs> um, cool. Well, yeah, that's that's really great. And so, yeah, again, uh, Gabriel, Mr. Gabitron, thank you for letting us know about this film. Um, it was a good choice. But uh, Justin, you know, I just said it'd been a very long time since I'd seen this movie and I did not remember anything about it uh, other than the booby thing. But let's just pretend that you you loved this film. Let's pretend you've never stopped loving it. What would be your elevator pitch to me for watching it? How would you entice me to watch it? And what film comparisons would you relate this movie to? Oh, my gosh. Uh, elevator pitch would be it's a an underwater movie and it's a, it's a love story and there's there's crazy creatures and and michael bean he was johnny <laughs> ringo you know and tombstone and uh it's a lot of fun claustro i it definitely gives off a claustrophobic vibe it's not a, it's not like a horror or a thriller i think really at its core it's literally just a love story that that takes place at the bottom of the ocean i think it's kind of crazy yeah okay I dig it. Is there is there a movie that you would compare it to? Like, what other films could you compare this to? I don't to? think so. I mean, if you maybe if you'd already seen Terminator Two, I could say that this is kind of where the the building blocks for uh, the T two technology comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, with how the like when the when the one creature is is floating water. I think that that's very uh, reminiscent of Terminator Two visual effects wise. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. But I mean, I think even even alien to a degree, only because of of the technology, you know, there there there's this sort of weird, limited, like push button technology that exists in this movie mm-hmm. where, <laughs> excuse me, where, uh, you know, it's the future, but it seems like an old future. <laughs> and I always I could always appreciate that aesthetic, you know, like this keypad on his wrist, you know, that just looks so absurd but at the same time it looks like the future i don't know that's just crazy yeah i I, that's see that's where i was thinking too with with alien or even like the thing you have kind of 
in this remote isolated area, you have um, people and they all kind of have to live together and something extreme happens. Um, you can't just go run out in the woods or run all over city, uh, city. You have to adapt to your surroundings and you're always going to run into issues of nature versus human. Um, you're going to run into the mental capacity issues that people will have to deal with for, for being isolated in those situations. Or in, in, in this case, the, what was it called? The, um, high pressure nervous syndrome. So I, I think alien and, and the thing are a really good comparison to this, even though they're not horror film, this isn't a horror film necessarily, but you're mm-hmm. right about the claustrophobic thing. There are, there are stressful and anxious elements. So in that certain sense, you could look at this and be like, okay, well, yeah, this, this part scared me, but it's not, it's not something like a horror film. I mean, even when you're seeing the alien, it's like a more upbeat music, you know, mm-hmm. we, we've never seen it, but it's, it, it seems way more upbeat than it should be. It's kind of like ET in a certain sense. Right. Yeah, it's pretty. It helps when it's pretty and not like a xenomorph chewing all over you and eating yeah, your face off. And shit. I know. <laughs> Open its mouth and its little mouth comes out and eats you. Holy yeah. buckets. Yeah, but it's um, pretty yeah. edgy. <laughs> Dude, so edgy. So you're a fan of underwater movies, right? I think. Yes. Yeah, love them. Yeah. Um, you know, so much so that we may as well call you Justin Cameron. Am I right? I'm all right. I'm all right. But, uh, you know, James Cameron has done some remarkable work with deep sea diving and filmmaking throughout his career. Why do you think he is so fascinated with the ocean? Uh, well, I think that there's a lot of it and it's easily accessible uh, in the grand scheme of things versus going to space. You know, space is pretty hard to do. But the ocean with um, a couple of submarines and, and, you know, using cameras, all stuff that he's familiar with. I think it's pretty cool. Uh I, I do. I know that he is, you know, he was doing Titanic expeditions before, like the movie and everything. Uh, he was always been fascinated, like you said. And I think just because it's it's our backyard, there's something about that. And, and, you know, there's so many creatures out there that we have no idea what the fuck they are. I saw like this fish the other day that had like human teeth and it totally freaked me out. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, my God, this shit's in the ocean. And it, I don't like it. I love the beach. I, I get. I'm drawn to it. I love the sea air. I love everything about the ocean. I am just horrified of it. You know, like when I see videos of crazy storms and the boats rocking, and I don't even get seasick. But I mean, just the very idea of if it could all be over in a second, it just terrifies me. So one of the reasons why I like underwater movies so much is just because it's it's literally my biggest fear. I can I can go in the ocean and I can enjoy myself. But if I were on one of these rigs or in a submarine or on a cruise ship that flips over, I mean, I even like that, that Poseidon movie. I will watch that anytime it's on TV because I just fucking think it's so ridiculous. But at the same time, I know that I would be, I would hope that I'd be one of the first to die. So I didn't have to worry about drowning. Um, but I don't know. There's something about the ocean. that's just so fucking cool. There's all these amazing fish. Uh, there's the wreckage, you know, this, I can look at a fish tank and if I see like a, the coolest thing about a fish tank is all the cool shit that they have at the bottom of it. And if there's like a sunken ship on a fish tank, I always think it's so goddamn cool. And, <laughs> and I know that there's real ships like that out there on the bottom of the ocean that have now been taken over by nature. You know, they have coral all over them and, 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 and life that is just sort of encapsulated this sunken ship. And I think that's so fucking cool. And for someone that's a, an artist like Cameron, uh, who can go underwater and see this stuff. I think it's just part of his inspiration, part of his muse. Yeah. I think he's just constantly trying to push like what, what, what's the next step? What can he do, you know, next as a thrill seeker, as a filmmaker and the ocean is not all, not all of us can go to outer space. 
Um, but some of us can go in, into the ocean and most of us can go to the ocean, I should say. So it's a, it's a lot more accessible, but I think it's just so fascinating that we still don't know a lot of um, what's down there, like in the Marianas Trench and stuff. What is is down the below there? Yeah, exactly. All these megalodons. Jason Statham's down there kicking sharks. Just going to punch him in the face. <laughs> and he's like, if it's on the menu. But um, I think I think the fascination be down there is is so interesting and and i could totally see why why he's all about it and and again just the conservation like you were saying nature versus versus human nature will always win and always and <laughs> the ocean is the ocean is terrifying to me but it's so beautiful because you could totally you, you look at a river or or any any ocean a current right and you're like sweet i'm gonna go out here and go swimming but the undertow might get you and you might get caught in a riptide or something and just be completely gone. And no matter how good of a swimmer you are, the ocean will always overpower you. And I think there's this inherent danger. Um, and me as a thrill seeker, you know, like I hike, I do all these things. Drink Mountain Dew. Yeah. Drink Mountain Dew and eat extreme Doritos. But um, I think it's, it's the, I can, I can relate to Cameron of just trying to, to learn and want to know more about just this, thing that makes up you know 75 percent of our earth so totally it's uh when, it's pretty fascinating when we were watching jungle cruise i kept saying mighty river because <laughs> <laughs> like the amazon's horrifying too like what oh creepy God, yeah. crawlies are in that water fucking pass dude i want nothing to do with it parasites and 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 crocodiles and anacondas and jason Voorhees and <laughs> and yeah i was gonna say the other guy uh john voigt he's out oh, there yeah. somewhere they got snakes out there this big <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's crazy dude like when i see these videos of these these fucking sharks that are just chomping 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 on things and i know that they would never attack me i mean there's a, a bigger chance that apparently uh, I, i'm more at risk of dying from a vending machine than i am of a shark bite and I, i've come <laughs> to terms with that but i just know that when i'm the asshole that's in the water it's gonna eat me and uh i just it freaks me <laughs> out but like I love Shark Week. I love any sort of deep sea stuff. It doesn't matter if it's a movie or a documentary or, or a TV show. I am just glued to my TV when it comes to the ocean and what it has to offer. Totally. I can and I can see that. So, I mean, I think that's probably why James Cameron has the fascination that he does. You kind of just explained it. So mm -hmm. I think the weirdest yeah. thing, though, is like when you're underwater, you can't hear anything. I mean, you hear things, yeah. but like this the, the pressure that's around your face and your body and it's almost like this this quietness that exists where things are so quiet you hear like that ringing or whatever mm -hmm. i think that that's so weird and i we talk about claustrophobic or being being claustrophobic and that, that's almost like the opposite where it's just it's too much <laughs> where yeah you're just like i need a wall to touch or i'm gonna <laughs> fucking freak out well and i think that's that's scary that's that was so scary about it you know is it's it looks like it goes on forever and you're like when does it end when am i on the ground you know how the fuck do i get out of here and uh just the whole pressure buildup is uh it blows me away that that water can do that to you you, you wouldn't even think that would happen but yeah you have to like decompress and start getting the the nervous system start shutting right. down it's it's just fascinating yeah this whole take your time go like ascending pass yeah. I, I need to get the fuck out of there and then i'm gonna die yeah. and that's gonna suck and then a shark's gonna eat you for good measure too yeah so i don't, I don't do it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah oh man did you ever see the horror movie leviathan by chance that came out the same or it came out before this movie came out and that movie bombed apparently i yeah i don't uh, know what our movies do 
Yeah, wasn't uh, Peter, Peter Weller, Weller in that yeah. movie? Yeah, he's yeah. like, freeze, bonk. Yeah, <laughs> your move, creep. Your move, creep. Yeah, it was also, yeah, you're right, 1989. Oh, man, I, I fucking love that movie, too. Any oh. underwater movie, I'm just, I'm all for it. I'm here for it. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, for- even the movie Underwater that I love so much, talk about it almost every fucking week that we do this podcast, <laughs> uh, that movie didn't do so great either. No. I don't know what it is, man. It's people just, people are just disinterested in the underwater scary stuff. It's just, it's too real, I think. As absurd as that sounds, I think it's just too real that people just don't want to, they like going to the beach. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> they don't want, they, they, they got over Jaws and that took fucking 40 years, 45 yeah. years. So they just need to just keep it at bay. They're not interested. But it's just weird how that works. Like I will 100%, even a terrible one, like Sphere, I fucking hated that movie, but I still went and saw it because <laughs> it was underwater. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you like what you like. Yeah. And, so, and that totally makes sense for sure. So the plot of this movie is it's, it's a little weird in, in my opinion. It seems like the entire driving force for the plot was dictated by the U.S. military's motivation to, you know, beat the Russians, uh, beat them to the sub and protect the nukes. So in my opinion, Cameron is pretty on the nose with his skepticism of the military. But do you think he's trying to make a bigger statement here? Um, I know the ending was changed and that was a little a little different. There was a lot more about the Cold War. But uh, do you think this movie's kind of about the fragility in in basically, let's just say the fear uh, that the military has, like we're always going to get bombed, especially during this Cold War. You know, we have to beat the Russians and we're the military. We don't trust anybody on this boat, that kind of stuff. Or just am I completely off base here? No, I, I think Cameron tends to have a message about just humanity in general and how we are terrible and we ruin things. Um, it's ruined. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that that there is a, a valid point there. Like, you know, we after we bombed, you know, Japan in World War Two, right? We, we don't really drop bombs anymore. It's not a thing. It's now it's just during the Cold War. It was, well, maybe we just need more missiles. And whoever has the most missiles will be the supreme being. And no one's going to use them. But we're just, you know, better than you because we have more and they're stronger. And then eventually, uh, maybe one day someone's going to press a button as generic as that sounds, you know, it's, that's the world that people lived in. If people bought bomb shelters, we were talking about that, uh, earlier this morning and, you know, there were school drills where like, what do you do if there's a nuclear, (laughs) get under your desk? Yeah. Duck and cover. (laughs) What what does that do? (laughs) Yeah. That's really going to work. You know, funny story. My mom, when that bell went off, when they were doing drills, uh, she ran home. She thought it was time to leave. So she went home. <laughs> she's like, she's like, oh sweet, school's out. So she's fucking left and went home. What is that? Awesome. That's yeah, awesome. She's pretty proud of it. And uh she got to stay home too. They're like, all right, whatever. Um but like there her neighbors actually had a bomb shelter. Um, you know, there were wow. a couple people on the street that were told to go to this place in the event that there is a nuclear fallout. And that's that's fucking crazy, dude. But I mean, I think we see that with Terminator. You know, we totally. we, we push technology to to the limit and even a computer said, you know what? You guys are fucking dangerous and this world would be a lot better without <laughs> you in it. And Avatar, same way. We go to a whole nother planet and, and take its resources and, and murder people and beans and and humans are just bad in 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 Cameron's eyes and in his lens. And I think that there is some messaging there that we could always be better, right? Don't be sorry, be better. <laughs> People change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think that that's pretty apparent in this movie. Uh, you know, coffee does 
you know, he is suffering from high pressure nervous syndrome and he is going crazy. Uh, but he was already probably a little bit on the unstable side and it just kind of magnified that even more. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Totally. And so, you know, here you have uh, a tactical nuke basically in the hands of a madman. I mean, he didn't, he didn't go crazy on purpose. You know, he's not like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to win this war, you know, via fucking Nam kind of thing. It was literally his brain betraying him. You know, he was, he was suffering from an illness. So that's, that's a little bit different, but at the same time, uh, that's the problem with having all these nuclear weapons is what if what if the wrong person gets their hands on then what happens right exactly and and in that in that edited version of the movie the aliens show ed harris you know this is what you people are capable of and it's just nothing but war and 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 hurt and ultimately it's love that saves the day right you know, he did this selfless act then and and that is a rare thing, and not all people are like that. We see that with the fucking pandemic right now. All you gotta do is get a fucking shot, and people just don't want to do it. Right? How hard is that? It's my right and Jesus my liberty. Wear a mask. Nope, I ain't doing that. Give me a break, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, just the, the amount of selfishness that exists in our country today is blowing me away, man. I, I am just literally shocked to my core that there are so many terrible people out there. Right. Absolutely. And, and and then when you put a fucking gun on their shoulder or they have a, a laptop with, with nuke codes, you know, it's, it's, it's very relatable, man. Yeah. Well, and, and we talked about this on the, on planet of the apes podcast with, with Rob, you know, just about humanity and, and you, you monsters, you blew it up, right. You know, um, I think that Cameron took a lot from that film too. I think a lot of the sci-fi directors took a lot from that film and were like, holy shit. Yep. We are kind of a, a shitty society. Humans really are the worst at times. So he, he does use a lot of that in his movies. Like you're saying, and I'm glad you talked about Skynet because we got so obsessed with technology that technology did a, did a whole 180, a trace busta busta. On yeah. Us. <laughs> yeah. Trace busta busta busta. <laughs> and it, yeah, uh, 100%. Yeah. And it came back and it's like, nope, you guys don't deserve this and we want to reign supreme and fuck off, you know? Right. So, um, but Avatar, same kind of thing where our military is just like, we're going to take over because our needs are greater than yours. And we're going to, we need that unobtainium. That's like oil, right? So we're going to invade and we don't give a shit about you guys because we are selfish and, and that's what takes over. It's um, it's really, really interesting. But I, I just felt like they were trying to make a Cameron was trying to make a statement about something uh, w- with the Cold War in this movie. And um, I think it's more apparent with the unedited stuff that they had in it, that they had a axe out, you know, because the movie is already pretty long. And I guess this stuff would have put it over three hours. And I was like, no, thank you. That's a lot. <laughs> right. But I think the thing is, though, is that this ending is a completely different message. Like all of a sudden, I mean, it's a very happy and uplifting message in the theatrical cut. But I think it's more of a warning. Yeah. In the this extended version. And I, I think that would go further, you know, talking about just messaging in general. You know, it's it's one of those things where we've been having this conversations forever where we're ruining our planet. What are we going to do about it? And then mm-hmm. before it's going to be, well, you know, it's too fucking late. Pretty much. 
We warned you. We done yeah. warned you not to cut the label off the mattress, but <laughs> yeah, I cut it off. So, um, but you know, back to back to aliens. You know how crazy is that when the Marines, the Space Marines, show up and they got these fucking briefcases full of the biggest guns and all these bullets, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's not even America, but I mean, that's kind of the vibe that you get, right? It's like, yeah, this is an '80s movie. We got the big old guns, and this is fucking cool. But I mean, that's what I think of when I think of. Of the military, I think of fucking Rambo and John Matrix and fucking John aliens. Matrix. It's so crazy. Like that's just that was my perception as a kid. Is this is what it means to be in the military? Is I get the big guns, bring yeah. out the big guns, as they say. Absolutely. And I think you're right. This ending was was interesting. I don't think that it, it was well received. The um, original ending that you're talking about, the the whole with the wave and stopping, and it's like this is a warning. You done fucked up, and if you done fuck up again, we're gonna we're gonna wash you out. Yeah. I don't think that that was well received back in the in the 80s. Nowadays, with with a way more woke culture, we would probably be like, holy shit, yep. I think he was right on the. Those aliens were right on the nose. <laughs> like, yeah. You guys are idiots. So. It's, I know um, that's interesting though as to why it wasn't well received i think so, that, i don't think the audiences are ready for it yeah that's I mean, crazy we, we said that about planet of the apes too i don't think the audiences were ready for that and it, it, it the movie holds up so much better now than yeah people are like it, not my planet yeah <laughs> it was america <laughs> not my ocean my ocean wouldn't fucking put a wave on my city <laughs> oh boy there we go so you know watching this movie i got really anxious because of the claustrophobia and just certain scenes and we were talking about the the dive helmets the part when i think his name is jammer um they do that pov shot of him just going Mm-hmm. And holding the rope i was like tense i was grabbing my, my couch because i didn't like how there was no sound other than his his respirator and you couldn't see not but six feet in front of you and i am just like oh my god oh my god am I, you know you don't know what's gonna happen and so they did a very very good job of raising the, the tension and anxiety you know i'm a risk taker like i spoke about before i'm always doing things outdoors and i'm never afraid of heights or or things like that I'll go sit on the edge of a cliff, Justin, and I'll dangle my feet over it. I am not scared of that kind of stuff. What I, but like, like I was alluding to, I don't like those claustrophobic spaces, those tight spaces. I'm pretty sure I know how I would do uh, underwater, but how do you think you'd fare in this kind of underwater setting, like the abyss or deep blue sea or even underwater? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't do so hot if. Only because it's the ocean, though. Like I can be in a confined space. I can go. I can go in a cave. I can. I can Oof. crawl down a hole and be totally fine. But just the ocean. I don't want to fucking. Dr- two things I don't want ever to happen to me. One, I don't want to fucking drown, and I don't want to be burned to death. Yeah. And those are two very horrible ways of dying. And I had a teacher, Mr. Stanford. He's he said that he almost drowned, and he said it was kind of peaceful, which I thought was just absurd. But he would know better than I would because he drank the water <laughs> so yeah. I, I get it but he was just like yeah it just all kind of went black Jeez. and i was like well that's horrifying but um <laughs> he was okay with it which i thought was very weird but like just that whole idea of gasping for my last breath like like when uh in the movie when um fucking mary elizabeth mastrantonio was, was was drowning you know she's trying to get her last oh, breaths in yeah. and she knew that she was gonna die she's like i'm gonna die and you gotta bring me back i was just like fuck that dude <laughs> like i hated every second of that and you know there's that rat in the movie that's that's going around you know little sebastian i forget what his name is but he's he's in it on the shoulder and i always think of rats in the water where they put their heads up 
Mm-hmm. And that's literally what it would be like, you know, where you're just trying to get that last little breath of air in. And I fucking hate that. It's horrifying. But I've never had a problem with with um, being claustrophobic in a, in a room that was small. Like, my, you know, my dad was in the Navy and I had to go on his ship a couple of times. And it's pretty close quarters. Um, you know, being a, I've been on a submarine before and it's really close. I was never on there for a long period of time, but uh, I'm sure that after like, you know, a day i'd probably be like all right get me the fuck off of this thing but yeah. for a couple of minutes i was fine but um something about the ocean that just fucking scares me to death and i guess i get a little claustrophobic if i'm in a crowded room like a lot of people mm-hmm. uh that kind of freaks me out not so much uh because the walls are closing in but just because people are closing in i fucking the the odors that that just come off of human beings just drive me crazy. I, one guy's <laughs> took a bath and axe body spray. Another person hasn't taken a bath in, in 10 days. And I just get all gross. And that's more of a different kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. But anytime I'm ever at like a concert or in a movie theater or some sort of crowded place, I somehow always manage to, to find my way right by the exit. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's I agree. I mean, I like your analogy of I need to touch a wall. Um, If you you can't see anything in sight, and I mean, it's just like, oh man, what what do I do? I need need some sort of normalcy, and that's it's hard. It's very easy for people to say, hey, you know, just relax. You just have to relax. Oh my god, (laughs) that's gonna make me stress out even more. Like I'll try, but yeah, it's and and I think visibility is a factor too. Like with the absolutely with the ocean. If let's just say I'm in open water and I'm scuba diving, I've never done that before, and I never will. Uh, just not even for a billion dollars. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> and which sounds absurd. It's a lot of money, but I'm not going to do it. And, um, but if I'm, if I, if I fall back off the boat, right. And I sink down, I'm, I'm maybe 10 meters underwater, 30 feet. And I look around, if I can't see the ocean floor or if I can't see the fucking boat, or if maybe I can only see, uh, 20 feet in front of me or 30 feet in front of me, I would die of a heart attack before a shark even bit me because i would just be so scared that i wouldn't know which way is up or down or left or right and i would be fucking freaked out Mm. i would hate that so i think part of the reason why i like the the movie so much is because i'm already scared i'm already invested because i hate every second of it (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, it's just really weird i don't know what the opposite feeling of claustrophobia is like what is it when it's just open space and you can't and you need that wall what is that called hmm I don't know. Let me look it up. Yeah, I'm curious. That's so weird. Reverse claustrophobia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, agoraphobia? Yeah, so which is the I fear know, of open spaces. So, yeah, I, I always took that as like afraid to like go outside. You know, I guess I had a, right. a, a misunderstanding of the of the word. Whereas like if I was too scared to go out to go check my mail, you know, because there's a lot there. There's a driveway, there's a car, there's a front door. It's not that far, but I always interpreted that as you know, f- fear of being just kind of out open. I, I guess that it's open spaces, but you know, like if I were to go to a ranch and it's just fucking farmland, Montana or something like that, am I just going to have a heart attack because I'm so scared of how open it is? <laughs> that seems really weird. Whereas to me, uh, I always just thought it was more of like a fear of being outside because of what could happen. You know, I'm going to get hit by a bus or, you know, a plane's going to land on me or something like that. That yeah. was a, a complete misunderstanding of what agoraphobia was. Um, 
cleithrophobia is the fear of being trapped. It's often confused with claustrophobia, the fear of enclosed spaces, but cleithrophobia is related to winter phobias due to the potential risk of being trapped underneath a snowdrift or thin ice. So maybe not that necessarily. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But interesting. Yeah, it's weird. But no, I could not do this job. I mean, if, if I just had to be in a building that was narrow, I wouldn't care. But if it's a building that's underwater, that is that could collapse or crush or maybe I'm mm-hmm. asleep and all of a sudden there's a fucking red alert going on and <laughs> water's pouring in. Fuck no, man. I want nothing to do with it. The red alert just means school's over. You can go home. Yeah. <laughs> there, There is no high risk pay that would, that would fit the bill. I couldn't do it. Three times pay though. It's like holiday. Yeah. <laughs> whoop-de-doo, Basil. You know what? That gets, that's worthy of a whoop-de-doo, Basil. I would never in a million years do that. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Have you ever wanted to explore space? Um, I, I know we just talked about the depths of the ocean, so that one kind of answers itself. But have you ever wanted to explore space at all? Do you believe that there are NTIs or UFOs out there? Oh, one hundred percent. I think it would be so cool. Like how, um, in the Star Trek sense, if I could just pack my shit and get on a on a shuttlecraft and and go from point A to point B. Yes, if it's exploring and just seeing what's out there. Absolutely not. <laughs> not yeah. interested. <laughs> but if I could, if it were the same as buying a, a fucking plane ticket on Expedia to go to planet XYZ, Clothia <laughs> or whatever, then sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But the exploring, not in a billion trillion fucking years. <laughs> Just a lot. Yeah. It's, it's that risk of, I mean, movies like Gravity come out and you're like, yeah, it's going to be a while before I go out in space yeah. anytime soon. Or even, even Interstellar, how... You know, each each hour is like 10 years or however, seven years or whatever. Um, we don't know if that's not. I mean, anything could happen, basically. And yeah. um, and it's not like there's a fucking gas station where you can just pull over and <laughs> ask for directions. For directions. <laughs> yeah. So I got yeah. A, tw- Davenport might be 22 miles away, but I wouldn't fucking know. And that <laughs> that kind of stuff just really bothers me. I like the fuel. I can't I can't even tell you the last time my uh, empty fuel light came on. I, I get gas when I'm at like a quarter of a tank. My sister, she will ride that that light <laughs> for another 100 miles, man. She just, she's like, oh, we can make it. We can go. And I'm just like, fuck, will you just get gas already? It drives me crazy. She never gets gas. She just, that light is just like a hi. How's it going? It still works. And, and I hate it. I would be the worst explorer ever. I'd be like, dude, check out that tree. It's sweet. Let's go back. <laughs> yeah. It's um, I, I also like to I, I read the gas pretty low, but I, when the fuel light does come on, I'm like, yeah, I need to find a station. But it's yeah, um, I don't get to the fuel light, man. No, Quarter of a tank. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Only one time in my life have I ever run out of gas and it really sucks. It's annoying. You have to call AAA or do whatever. So like, didn't you see the little light come on? <laughs> you, feel, you feel like a dumbass because it's, it's, it's right there in front of your face telling you, hey, I need to fuel up or I'm going to run out. And you're like, OK, I'm going to push it a little bit because I want to go over here where I can save three cents a gallon. And then you run out of gas and then you, you eat crow, basically. And you're like, God damn it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, when we, when we discussed doing this movie, uh, we were talking uh, because uh, Gabby Tron asked us to do it. We uh, we were discussing it via text and you mentioned that it was uh, it's a slow movie. Do you still feel that the pacing of this film is an issue? Um, and how do you think it could have been better? Um, well, I don't think so. Uh, it's kind of a weird one because when it's over, I enjoy it. But as a, if I were a first time viewer, I would not 
fault anyone for not watching it or finishing it. I do think that it's a big ask, but I think when it's over, I always feel good when it ends. I don't know why that is, but I'm just like, oh yeah, I like the abyss. But as it's happening, I don't I don't know. It's weird because things are happening. You know, there's there's always a storm or there's always some sort of wreckage or there's always something happening. There's water coming through, there's the threat of the bombs, there's the 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 aliens, there's there's all kinds of shit happening. I just don't know. It's at a, it's at a different kind of action because it's not even really an action movie. Things are happening, <laughs> but yeah. it's not really an action movie either. It's really weird. It's it's almost a drama. It's kind of it's like an underwater drama, mm-hmm. and and I I don't fault it. Like I think at the end of the day, it's a good movie and I enjoy it, but it's not for everyone. So uh, I think that this was one of those movies where where Cameron stepped out of his comfort zone a little bit. Uh, you know, he was definitely pushing himself to, to, like he said, to make it this amazing film that he knows it can be. Um, and I think that the whole talking about how he was saying, I have this, 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 this cognitive leap to an amazing picture. And I think that he's asking us as an audience member to also sort of wait for the dots to connect. And so you don't get it all at once. It's it's one big picture. Mm-hmm. Whereas now when we watch movies, it's one action sequence extra after another. Sometimes it's exhausting. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, fuck, let me just breathe for a second. And uh, this movie, I think, does give you those moments because uh, it's not graphic. There's no graphic violence. You know, when people are, are drowning, you know, we don't really see it per se. Um, it's just a leaky water, a couple of. Um, sparks here and there and there's this sense of urgency that we only have whatever 12 hours before the world ends kind of thing mm-hmm. um, but even when the clock ticking I never really felt like this was it you know you forget that these people are going to run out of air and die yeah you know it's like what is he's going down there to defuse the bomb but what's the end game just to save the ocean <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, it's like yeah what are they really trying to do because they're not trying to get up they're waiting they're at the mercy of topside so it's kind of a weird movie it's very weird and that's and i was going to write a question about that like what genre do you kind of think this is because there are action scenes but they're not as actiony right, compared to like t2 or avatar um but then i also look at titanic and i'm like okay that's a love story that's a drama but there are action scenes in that movie. And I would even argue that there are probably more action packed scenes in that movie than there are in this, but this one just does a really good job of ramping up the tension and, and what you can, what you has to happen in a confined space, you know, and everything's underwater. So it's just, right. Yeah. yeah I think the last hour and a half of Titanic is an action movie. Yeah. It's totally. like 90 minutes, love story, a boy meets girl. And then 90 minutes of the ship sinking. Yeah. Pretty crazy stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess it would just be an underwater drama is what I would classify it as. Underwater drama. It has it has some funny parts. It has some action sequences. But uh, I think it, at, at its core, it's uh, it's two people that loved each other once mm-hmm. that are both so headstrong uh, that they they pushed each other apart. And then when it's all said and done. They found a way back to each other, even if it was at the bottom of the ocean or mm-hmm. in, you know, total darkness. Um, they 
they were able to rekindle that love. And I think that when she drowns and he's dragging her back, that is like one of the most painful scenes oh ever. My God, like, it's yeah. fucking hard to watch, dude. He's just like literally towing her corpse <laughs> through the water. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, dude, this movie's fucking nuts. But I mean, and then and you're just there. And this and you mentioned sound earlier, and and that's true. Like which when you're underwater, man, you just can't hear anything. And and I like it when there's when there's uh, the we talked about this with Friday the Thirteenth, which is like uh, sound engineering and sound design. Uh, when you can't hear stuff, I think it does. It's so weird to your senses. Uh, like in the in the two thousand and eight Star Trek movie, when the Romulans attack the Kelvin at the beginning, and the torpedoes go through, and then there's uh, there's Starfleet officers that are getting sucked out into space, and it goes from you know violent crashing sounds. To just the quietness of space, that is a very powerful moment, and that's yeah. that's what it means to be all alone in space, and that's very much what it's like underwater, and that's that's a relatable thing that will trigger your you know your fear factors and your senses, and you're just like, holy shit, dude, mm-hmm. I don't like this. <laughs> what they're doing right now, I hate, and and I think there's enough of those moments that keep you invested for this two and a half hour movie. I agree. And I mean, that death scene with with uh, her, Lindsay, it, it was so sad because, you know, right before she's about to, she's like, I can't do this. I'm scared, you know, because she she knows she has to die for them to survive, like so he can bring her back. And it's it's a crazy plot, but it's so quick witted because, you know, you're running low on on air. The ship is sinking. Um, no one wants to drown, but committing to that, knowing that you're going to die, knowing that you might not come back. Oh, man, it was so hard to watch. Like you're saying, just him bringing his wife back and, you know, them doing the AED three times and her not coming back. And he's like, no, you know, like you're not going to give up. Just very, very hard scene to watch. But um, really enjoyed it for what it was worth. It was sad. Mm-hmm. It made me sad. But. Yeah. And it was like her idea, too. Like at first, she's like, you know, she's like, I got hypothermia because he's in like the wetsuit. Right. So mm-hmm. he's fine. And she's literally dying right in front of him. And yeah. that's that's hardcore, man. So hard. Someone, someone, you know, someone that you love, your partner dying right in front of you and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, that's 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 hardcore, man. Shake you. I'll shake you to your core there. Deep core. So we've previously discussed the merits of James Cameron's uh, directorial ability and his box office clout. He's got that clout. Because of this, the Colossus of Clout, the Colossus of Clout. Be- because of this, uh, will you pretty much see any film that James Cameron makes? I know I was talking about it earlier when we started. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I Even with Titanic, I was like, what the fuck is this movie? And then I saw it, and then I was like, all right, well, that was pretty good. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I was just like, shame on me, right? I mean, I know how it ends, for crying out loud. But I mean, when it was over, I was just like, fuck me, dude. That movie was incredible. Yeah. And then same with, you know, we get a 10-year gap, and then we get Avatar, which we did on this show. And uh, I think that there's a lot to like about the movie. I, I think it's, I think the, the criticisms are are accurate and I, I i i will not fault anybody for hating the movie i just happen to really enjoy it when it comes to the the end product you know he can bring a score together he his he's always brings something new to the table from a technical standpoint yeah he he's always just uh shooting for the stars and he hits them and it doesn't matter what movie it is. There is some sort of technological advancement that happens when he makes a movie. And for Avatar, 
he was literally rendering these effects like in real time. Like yeah. they're wearing all this stuff and they're able to see it right then and there versus shooting something, having it developed and then going back and having to do it after the fact. He was literally making blue people like in the moment. That's pretty badass, dude. And yeah. that changed the way that movies are made. Totally. Totally agree. So I, I'm 100% yeah. on board. Yes, I will see any movie that he makes, even if it is Avatar 2 through fucking 30 or whatever <laughs> it is. And I was not a huge fan of Avatar. I mean, I loved all the effects and everything. It's a garbage movie, but uh, but there's no denying that it was groundbreaking. And it obviously made a lot of freaking money. Um, and it was fun to watch, you know, a lot, of, a lot of colors, a lot of flashing and moving pictures and a lot of colors. But I will definitely see his other Avatar films um just because i need to i need to see them sort of thing but t2 is like one of my favorites of all time it's my it's one of my comfort films that i can just put on and i've seen it a bajillion times but i absolutely love every minute of it and it still holds up to this day the effects and i think that that's it says all you need to say about james cameron's work is just how well the effects hold up you know 30 years later it's it's pretty great it Um, is incredible love t2 agreed so how great was Mr. 39 year old Ed Harris? You know, we have done numerous films on this podcast featuring him. Uh, the Rock, we did uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And I believe there's another one. I just can't remember it. Despite his talent, he has never been able to pull an Academy Award. What did you think of his performance as Bud? And what would you rank higher in his career? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one, man. Uh, yeah, you're right. He's He was great in this movie. I thought he did a wonderful job. I, I love Ed Harris. I think that he's... I like him as a good guy. I always get a little sad when he's a bad guy. Like he's a bad guy in that fucking movie with the with Aragorn. What is it where he's Hidalgo? No, 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 no. He's oh, like a, History of Violence. Yeah, History of Violence. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit! Like he's gross in that. He movie. is gross in it. I don't like it. I don't like that. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not a fan. But um, and same with like uh, Westworld. You know, like he's like, this cowboy that just keeps shooting this lady over and over and over again. I'm like, dude. Shooting the ladies all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, he's he's really good, dude. I I think that my favorite role of his, though, is, as much as I hate him being a bad guy, is The Rock. Like I fucking love him as as Brigadier General Francis X Hummel, mm-hmm. and um, he's so good in that, dude. He's just yeah. awesome, and I love how when he has that coming coming to Jesus moment where he's like, you know, they called our bluff, and you know, I'm gonna kill all these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I really love it. it's a very powerful scene for for an over the top ridiculous action movie. I think that Ed Harris is that sort of grounds it a little bit. Totally. And and I think that um, he is just absolutely amazing in that movie. I agree. And I think I would I that's a second vote for that because I love that he's a bad guy, but he's not really that bad. You know, he has a motivation for doing what he's doing. It's not right, but he still has a motivation for doing what he's doing. And so it is nice to see because he's just such he has such good range. But you know what else I really like him in Enemy at the Gates. I think he is yeah. so good in that as the as the, the villain. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, he uh, he's great in that. And I mean, it's he's not in, in it for a very long time, but the whole cat and mouse thing. Yeah, Ed Harris is is phenomenal. I really, really enjoyed him as Bud. He seemed like a roughneck. He just seemed like a guy who'd been living down there. And um, totally, totally loved his his performance in that for sure. And I think yeah. I, I but I think The Rock is his best performance, in my opinion. But yeah, I think I, I think I enjoy it the most. I mean, he's been in a billion. He's been in like 100 movies. Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard to say. Um, 
but I do like him as a good guy, and he is a good bad guy in The Rock. I agree. I like him in Stepmom, see? And Milk Money. <laughs> Those are the best right there. Milk Money. I like that movie. Melanie Griffith. Mm-hmm. But, so, you know, like I spoke to in the trivia questions, um, this film's production was just a complete nightmare. The actors, the crew, all of them, they all seem to despise their experience making this movie due to just how strenuous the process was. Do you have a moment or experience in your life uh, where you were pushed to your physical and mental limits all for the sake of art or beauty? Um, will you ever do it again? Or are you so upset with the experience that you never want to relive it? Um, I don't. So I I wouldn't say for like art or beauty. I remember one time we shot a film out in the middle of the desert and it was a long shoot. We were out there for like 18 hours for this short film and we I slept on a rock, a giant boulder. Uh, and it was uncomfortable, but I didn't <laughs> I was glad that I did it. I had a lot of fun, um, a lot of explosions and it was awesome. But um, I th- I think just it's weird because when I think of like something where I was pushed to my physical and mental limits, retail is the first thing that comes oh, up, yeah. you know, like those those Black Fridays or and it's not even just Black Friday. It's literally like two months the the ramping up for for Q4 and then just living in q4 and then once once sort of christmas is over then you know you can breathe and i know that with target in particular i was pushed to my mental limit uh it was it was brutal especially when like our store manager quit like uh, two weeks before black friday and then uh we had this horrible district manager that came in and I'm literally at my wits end and I had this huge, like probably almost a a 20 hour day. And it was so bad because the store was just in complete disarray. Everything was fine, but then she made it be in complete disarray and it was really unfortunate. And when it was over, I was so relieved. I I never felt just so good about myself. Like it sucked that I, I literally lost like a, a piece of me <laughs> that yeah, that night. Yeah. But at the same time, I couldn't have been more proud of everything that our team went through. And I, I hope to never in a million years ever relive something like that again. I'm glad that I did it and it, and it really taught me something about myself and what I'm capable of, but I'm in no rush to ever experience something like that again. Yeah. It drains you, man. It is. I'm all about being busy. I thrive during black Friday and, um, it was it was actually some of my most fun uh, time working at Target, but holy buckets was that stressful, you know, 12 hour days for that kind of stuff. And and it seems like you could have put another 12 in and it just things never got accomplished, especially doing assets protection. You know, we we were in charge of so much stuff and I wanted to protect merchandise, but I also wanted to get sales. And so it's that healthy balance where you have all these sales staff or the sales managers who are like, no, you know, we don't care about merchandise protection. We care about this. I'm like, then why am I even here? You know, like that's, that's spitting in my face for the merchandise. And, and um, just being able to coordinate all of that with the crowd control. And, and it is very stressful. You're always going to bump heads with people, but man, it was, uh, it was an experience for sure. But after doing it for so long, I just was like, I can't, can't do this anymore for sure. So um, but in terms of a physical challenge that I've had, 
Uh, I went backpacking in the Enchantments, which are this beautiful, you have to have a, a permit for it, but it's this beautiful area out near Leavenworth and um, just you're in a whole other world, but it's um, it's about 18 or 19 miles for a through hike. But uh, the idea is you hike in and then you backpack up there for X amount of days. Well, there are two paths you can go since it's, it's a through hike. Uh, you can either go up the Snow Lake side, which is longer, but it's a gradual um, incline. Or you can uh, go up the Asgard Pass side, which is very strenuous and very steep for maybe like two miles. But everything else is downhill after that. So we opted to go up the Snow Lake side and go down the Asgard side. And that was really stupid of us because on our final, our, well, our second to last day out, we decided to hike down Asgard Pass at like one o'clock when the sun had already been beating on the snow. And since this was the snow was melting and the rocks down below it uh, were starting to loosen up. Each step you took uh, could have technically been your last because you could slip down, you could slide down and you have a 50 pound backpack with all your gear in it behind you. Um, it was so stressful. And the entire time I was with three of my friends, they're swearing up a storm. We like, we're all mad at each other. I ran out of water. It took us hours to get down this, this hill because there's no real path that you could see. And, um, it was dangerous, man. Uh, I look at it every time and I flip off Asgard pass at each time I see it, but I am so thankful for that opportunity. And it was, it was incredible, but I was like, I'm never going down Asgard pass again. I will always go up. If ever I do the enchantments again, I will always go uphill. So it's that type two fun, I think, for me. <laughs> so It really is. It's that type two fun where I'm like, I fucking hate this. And then I get up there. And I'm like, all right, this is pretty awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, it is interesting when you got to like go into the gym, like you don't want to go. But then once you're there, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I came. I'm a glutton for punishment. What can I say, man? And a glutton no. for for tofu. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Beyond. Uh, ooh, it does sound pretty tasty. But um, yeah, so that's actually all I have uh, to add for this. Do you have any final thoughts? And what is your letter grade for The Abyss? For a letter grade, I might give this movie a B. I think it, I think it could have been an A uh, if it had just a little bit more going for it with those action scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they would have stuck with the original ending, I think that would have made it an A for me. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think it's, it's, it's almost like a cautionary tale. And I, I do kind of wish that the ending stuck. I just, I, I mean, I think I understand why Cameron did what he did, but also I think the studio had it, had a play in it too, a little bit because he got to a point when they had to push the release date. And then, um, I, I don't know who direct, maybe let's just say 20th century Fox. They just kept, um, they were like, Hey, we need this movie done. But Cameron's like, I still got to edit this. I got to do this. And he wanted it a, a particular way. And he had to fork up some of his own money, uh, to finish it. And at a certain point, they're like, no, just you need to finish this now. So I think that's kind of where they came in and took control and maybe r- removed that because they wanted to make some money back. But I agree with you. I think that that would have been probably the the, the superior ending. Um, I'm going to go probably with a, um, a B plus on this one. And uh, I was floating around with an A minus because I actually really did enjoy it. Um, and like you said, the pacing issue, it's long, but I think it was was good and and I and I think it was was paced out pretty well for the most part. I, I didn't really get bored necessarily. Um but I can see why it could be slow at times and and it has it has a, a genre identity crisis where we're like what is this? But we've we have now penned it as an underwater drama and I like it. <laughs> so underwater drama love story. I dig it. But yeah, so that's that's for me a B plus. And um yeah. Really good selection, though, Mr. Gabby Tron. Thank you for that suggestion. Um, 
it had been such a long time since I'd seen it, and I really, really enjoyed uh, the majority of it. So should I take us home? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Bring us back to the surface. Oh, yeah. Well, we got to decompress, see? So thank you. Yeah, just, just go for it. <laughs> no. It'll be fine. No, I'm breathing that liquid. I got that liquid inside of me. Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we'll discuss them on our show. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Uh, This movie is available on Amazon Prime for anybody who wants to watch it, and you can uh, watch it there. Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts if you like the show, because ratings help us immensely. We've got to climb up those charts. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy Podcast with David, Randy, and Justin, as well as the Pixelated Podcast, it's a video game one, with Stephen K. James. Just please don't be crazy, and thank you for listening again. Thank you so much.